0: Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And I am so pleased to welcome Amy Armstrong to the show today because she is going to talk to us about how to set boundaries to reduce conflict. Now, Amy is a coach and coach trainer, and she spends her days listening to moms and dads fight over kids and money. She helps parents set boundaries and solve problems so they can reduce stress, save money, and get their kids out of the middle of adult conflict. She brought coaching to the arena of family court and champions innovative practices to transform the domestic court system. Can you understand why I have brought her on here? <laughs> That's right, because... All of this conflict just creates a whole bunch of stress, and that can certainly lead to burnout, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. I'm really
1: happy to be here. It's kind of, um, I don't know what it says about me that I love to talk about conflict, but that's definitely my gig.
0: Well, somebody needs to talk about this, and it's kind of similar (laughs) to how people don't really like to talk about burnout, but that's where I show up. So as long Mm -hmm. as we are passionate Mm -hmm. about the work that we do, then Mm -hmm. we're doing important work and helping people with these really important issues. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you're talking about it. Tell us how you got into this work.
1: Sure. Sharon, I started off teaching parenting when my kids were little, and I really enjoyed teaching, you know, just good positive parenting skills and bringing in into mostly into my community, and then lots of groups, um, you know, and g- helped me get out and get into different parts of the city and connect with people. And when I started going through my own divorce, I was working with a, a community agency doing parent education, and a magistrate from our local court asked us to specifically offer a course for parents when they were splitting up and going into into two separate homes. And I volunteered to write the curriculum and start teaching it, which was fascinating. And as I um, started teaching that class, people started coming to me with questions and wanting me to work work with them one-on-one, which I wasn't really trained to do. So I went and I've actually done actually two coaching certification programs, one specific to parenting and one that got me into the International Coach Federation competencies and standards and, you know, that global network. And I find that coaching can touch parents in a way that education simply can't you can imagine how many thousands of resources parents read every day, books, articles, podcasts, you name it. And it's the coaching piece that really helps people figure out how they can make it work for them, right? Reading about it, hearing about it may or may not be helpful, but it's the coaching that can really make it come alive for them. And so I started coaching parents that were going through separation and divorce And as you can imagine, the stories were just all over the board. And so, yeah, my whole program has developed from there really over about the last 12 years, um, where I now have gotten to a point where I coach um, a lot of court-involved families, where they're actually getting court orders to work with me. And then I developed a training program to teach other people to coach this population as well.
0: So you started out having gone through your own divorce, then helping Mm -hmm. other people going through divorce, and then it evolved from there. Exactly. And and what you really specialize in this is talking about how they can set some boundaries to reduce that conflict. Now, when we think about setting boundaries, what do you think are some of the biggest myths that are out there Mm -hmm. in order to maybe not be in a state of conflict with another person. I know so many people who go through divorces end up in conflict because they don't really know how to navigate it. And unfortunately, it's not something that we're taught how to navigate, right? right? Until you're already in it and emotions are running high. So people probably have all kinds of notions about how to do it or maybe don't even have the know-how. So Mm -hmm. I I obviously see a lot of value in the work that you do, but help us understand uh, what you're seeing from your field. And then we'll talk about how we can apply some of these tips and strategies to people who are looking to prevent or avoid conflict in their own lives, regardless of whether they're getting divorced or not.
1: Wonderful. I, I appreciate that approach. So I would say, Sharon, one of the first myths is that resolving conflict is all about compromise. And compromise actually leaves people feeling like they have to give up something. And what I have found in my work is that when people feel really validated, like even to the point where I let them know they each get to keep their own version of history, We are not here to try to come up with one story that you can both agree on. You're each fully in your values, fully in your story, fully in your own experience. It's your lived experience and you get to keep it. And when that happens and people feel truly validated, their guard comes down and solutions naturally emerge so instead of just saying, you have to give up half of what you want and you have to give up half of what you want, let's focus on having the real conversations about what's really important to both of us and let the solutions emerge organically.
0: Mm. Wow, that's, that's really powerful. And so when I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm thinking about people who are maybe working in an organization organization where there's Mm -hmm. a lot of conflict, maybe some backstabbing, things like that are happening. I mean, I've heard stories where people aren't speaking to colleagues of theirs and they cross each other's paths every day (sighs) and they're going to meetings all the time together. (sighs) And there's just that real staleness in the air because they're not able to overcome it. Maybe they don't know how, maybe Mm -hmm. they're worried about what's going to happen. But I think it's an important message that We have to validate the other person. And I also want to add to that, which is something that is always important when we're in these situations, especially when we feel wronged, that validating the other person doesn't mean that they're right and you're wrong. What it means is, right? And I think that's such an important piece of it that keeps people from going down this road of validating. It's like, we see things Mm -hmm. too black and white, So we have to really kind of bring ourselves back to this notion of everybody is right from their perspective. Everybody has their own feelings, their own thoughts, their own belief systems. And if we can just validate where they're coming from, even if we don't agree, then we can start having a conversation about how to solve whatever the issue is and get beyond just all of the feelings and the ego.
1: I love how you said that. And I would suggest that people learn a few phrases that they can choose from that help them do that. For example, if you and I were going to disagree on something and I want to validate your perspective, I could say, okay, we're not on the same page. We totally get that we see it differently. You see it like this and I see it like that. That's validating, but it's also reminding the person that I'm simply summarizing our differences. I'm not going to show uh, your point of view in a way that's gonna make me feel like I'm empathizing too much with you that would compromise my own point. Another option might be to say, um, oh, I can tell that you're most worried about X and I'm most worried about Y. So again, stating this, very validating. And I'll tell you, one thing that comes up a lot, even when there's teams at work, where people just don't click, just don't get along and aren't aren't friends, aren't friendly outside of the meetings, people have the wrong idea that boundaries are always about saying no. And I prefer to live in what I call the yes energy let's talk about the yes. What am I willing and able to do? What's pro me, not anti you, right? So if you're being, if your teammate is saying, well, I'm going to do this part and you're going to do this part. And you're like, "Mm -mm, I'm not staying late on Friday to get that done. You can say, sure. I'll be glad to take a look at that on Monday right? So we talk about what we are willing to do, where we can put some energy because resistance leads to burnout.
0: So there's so much to unpack and what you just (gasps) said. And so I want to go back to the first point, which is this whole idea of validating. And I'm so glad that you brought very concrete examples Mm of a phrase that we can use because what it illustrates is how just by summarizing the facts of what you believe and what I believe or what you want and what I want, what you're worried about and what I'm worried about, we're just holding the space for both of our pieces Mm -hmm. of the puzzle. And we're not saying one's right and one's wrong. It's like We both have our own standpoints on this issue. Here's what they are. And we're just focusing on that. And that when you get into that kind of logical, place of stating the facts, you take all the emotions out of it, which I think mm-hmm. helps people to calm down. Yeah.
1: Well, you simply can't argue with someone's lived experience. Right. So if I tell you that I was fearful or worried or anxious about something, you really can't argue with that.
0: Right. And but but people it doesn't try stop to us say, from well, trying. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> right. Right. But it's like saying it as I hear you that, you know, it doesn't seem important to you or it doesn't seem like you would have had that same reaction. But this is the response I'm having. Yeah. So what,
0: what happened in that meeting? And as you're saying this, I'm also thinking about the importance of having that abundance mindset, because I think sometimes people get into that black and white way of thinking because they think if that person is right, or if I'm validating that person, it means that there's no room for me and my opinion, Mm -hmm. my thoughts and what I want and getting my needs met. And it's kind of like how in improv, we use the yes and... Right. So we want to be able to say, you have something, I want to validate that. And I have Mm. something, and that, and I'm validating myself. I'm basically saying we're both validated. We may not Mm -hmm. agree, but we both have something that is concerning, and we need to figure this out.
1: And that we can even take this to the extreme where one person believes there is only one right answer. And we can still say, no wonder you're frustrated. Mm. you're committed to finding one right answer here. And I don't fit into that paradigm for you. That's good. Even that we can just point it out as that's what's happening. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So it's really, I had a really interesting um, mom and dad I was working with where she kept saying she was scared. She had filed a protection order. She had wanted this guy to never be allowed in the house again. And he was like, oh, I didn't do anything. You shouldn't be scared of me. It was really interesting what I did. I said, I am hearing that her nervous system has a reaction when you're around. And he was like, okay. Like he could handle it that her nervous system was scared. He, it just It just had to be less personal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was really wild because I just kind of gave them just a quick explanation of how our nervous systems are doing their job to react, you know, when there's something intense going on and we just made it a much more objective situation. So in that same call, we figured out how he could come over and walk the family dog, which is, it really helped him get his dignity back and allow mom to set boundaries that were very pro her, where she was very clear that she was not going to interact with him at the house. And so they had an exact time and an exact way. She left the dog in the backyard so he could come get the dog and not come in the house. But he got to go walk his dog around the neighborhood, which allowed him to start to restore a sense of of calm for himself.
0: So, Amy, I love so far that we've laid out this concept of compromise and how it's about validating both sides rather Mm -hmm. than just... Saying that it's about giving my getting piece handy. of the puzzle up,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: You've given us very concrete statements that we can use in conversation and also an illustration of how this shows up where, you know, he gets to walk the dog, he doesn't have to come into the house, she sets the boundaries, but he's still getting what he wants. And it's such a beautiful illustration of a win win. Now, from there, you also talked about the second myth, which is that boundaries aren't always about saying no, which really makes me think about the whole prioritization that we talk about when it comes to time management. And it's so pertinent in particular to all of our feelers, our people pleasers who have Mm. a hard time saying no, because they feel guilty about it. There's all kinds of mindsets around that. And I love this message of it doesn't have to be a firm no, it can be a mm-hmm. not right now.
1: It could be a not now. It could be a yes to something else. It could be just stating what's going to work for, for you instead of ever feeling like you have to criticize or blame somebody else.
0: And I also think having that sort of mentality as you go into that transaction, right? You're mm-hmm. being asked to do something. You have a lot of guilt about saying, no, you're trying to find something that then also takes care of your needs in the process mm-hmm. that if you can think about it from this perspective of, I have options, I have a menu of options that you can escape what we call that victim mentality of people are always mm-hmm. coming to me. I always have to do all this stuff. They're always asking me for more stuff. And it's really your responsibility to set those boundaries, to be able to make decisions that take your needs into effect, because Mm -hmm. it's only your responsibility to get your needs met, not anybody else's. And we forget that sometimes. And so if we're not taking responsibility for ourselves, if we're not getting our own needs met, and then we're doing Mm -hmm. stuff for other people because they asked and we said yes, then we can so easily burn out because we're just giving away the farm. Mm -hmm. And I love that you are here to remind people that there are other ways to tackle those situations, and that you can be just as helpful if the intention is to be helpful, right, that we have a variety of different ways of showing up and being helpful. And I love that we're creating that variety of options for people so that they don't feel like jammed into this one. Nobody
1: wants to feel like a jerk
0: by saying no. And
1: I'm from Ohio, like call it nice land, right? Everything here is about everybody wants to be nice. And, you know, of course I love that people are friendly and want to be kind. It's just this vocabulary for even recognizing our own needs let alone saying them, is really missing, really missing from a lot of relationships. I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I was 44 years old before I started studying and practicing boundaries. I was always just the accommodator that could figure out a way to you know, kind of maneuver around my relationships rather than being clear with what my needs were and finding a way to say it that felt good.
0: And what's so powerful about you saying that mm. is that if somebody's listening to this, that the message here is that you're never too old to too old. change it. And even if mm. you've been a people pleaser and a yes sayer and a compromiser mm. your entire life, that you can still get to a point where you are taking this and implementing mm. all of the strategies that you're hearing here today and completely shifting your relationships with other people, your relationship with yourself, and certainly all this brings you to a place where you have so much less resentment, so much less guilt, and so much less stress.
1: Can I, can I teach you a funny saying that'll help people remember some of this? Of course. So I, I would guess that a lot of your listeners know this saying WTF. Yeah. Have you ever heard yourself say that? So I like to add a why at the end of it, right? So it's WTFY, which means what's true for you. And this is a saying that my um, co-authors and I, we wrote a book together and we use this when we're coaching parents, because there's so much information. How are you supposed to know which advice to apply to which child at which time? And just asking what's true for you helps people get the clarity of what's really going on. What do I have to give? What does my child need? What do I need? What does my family need? And is this a time to discipline? Is this a time to back off? Is this a time to listen? Is this a time to ignore? And we really need to be asking that question to get our own clarity of where, you know, how we're doing and what's going on with us before we try to make decisions about how we're going to interact in our other relationships.
0: You know, as you were saying this, I was thinking you're, you're basically telling us to ask that question of ourselves. Is that right? Yeah. Ask us so that we can be more aligned with our intuition when we're making Ah. a decision and really do something that feels right in that moment, as opposed to just going on autopilot, which I think is really important. And I was also thinking about how. When you're a kid, that's a great question to ask as well. When your kid is like in the midst of emotional turmoil and how nobody ever asked me that when I was a kid, you know? And I think one of the issues that we have is when we're not asked that as a kid, we don't grow up to ask ourselves that question, which is why we need people like you to teach us this stuff. Oh my gosh. I
1: grew up with a sister that was so had so much, she had all the common sense. She was so smart. I just did whatever she did or whatever she told me to do. I was so late to the game, learning to check in on my own needs, my own opinions. And you're right. There's times that I wish, you know, I could go back and tell my mom, you know, I probably am supposed to have an opinion on some of this stuff. Right. But I just completely missed that memo that I was supposed to have my own idea of what I needed or what would be good for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, when we talk about prevention, I think we start early and we plant these seeds Mm -hmm. and we're teaching the kids Mm -hmm. to ask these really powerful questions so that they grow up to be adults that ask those of themselves. Yeah.
1: Make choices. Like, do you need a snack first or are you ready to get started on your homework? Or do you want to take a bath or a shower? You know, what's, you know, all choices that are okay with us, but it's a great way to help kids tap into their own sense of intuition and checking in on their own needs to give them, give them choices. And we can do that with our coworkers. Not that we would be talking down to them, like, you know, we're trying to parent them, but just to say, Hey, this file is, you know, overdue. Is this something, you know, you think we should get, try to get this done first, or do you want to go ahead with the new ones first? You know, it's just a way of saying, hey, uh, I'm not going to do all of it. Which should we approach first? Or what's most important for me to do right now? And so really it adds to that menu of all the many ways that we can set boundaries in a way that still feels good, that feels collegial, that feels like we're caring about other people's needs as well.
0: Wonderfully said. So, so far you've shared with us two myths about setting boundaries to reduce conflict. What's the third one?
1: I love the third one. And hang with me after you hear it. My myth is that parents should not fight in front of their kids. And the reason it's a myth is because so many couples that I work with, that end up separating and divorcing say, well, we never thought this came out of nowhere. And I think learning how to disagree, even if it's a little rough around the edges, sometimes is so healthy, not only for the couple, but for the children to hear. And the key to this is make sure that if your kids do see you argue, that they see how you resolve it. Because so many Parents will resolve their issues behind closed doors. The kids hear the argument, never get to hear how it's resolved. And it just goes away, right? Which is so incredibly confusing. And so as parents can learn to disagree in a healthy way, see it through and let the kids hear what you decided to try out. Let them hear you check back in and see if it's working And then the children can be part of the discussion sometimes too, when something's not working and everybody tosses in ideas and you pick one to try and then be sure and follow up and check back in and see if everybody's feeling okay about what you, uh, the steps that you decided to try.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is that, you know, we often, feel like this is not safe to do in front of our kids, that we're going to traumatize them, that we should just, this Mm -hmm. is an adult conversation. We should do it behind closed doors, but really we're not being authentic. We're not showing up Mm -hmm. in the best way in front of our kids because this is real life. And we have to show them that sometimes we mom and dad don't agree on things or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever your family structure is. And so we need to show them that it's okay to disagree. And here's how we solve it, which also Mm -hmm. I think demonstrates problem solving, problem solving results from having a problem. And this is how we tackle it when we have a problem. So, Mm -hmm. And it's messy.
1: It can be messy and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And of course we're sensitive to the types of information we want to share with our children. Of course, we're not going to be arguing over their grandparents and saying things that, you know, we don't want the kids to hear um, or, you know, we don't want the kids to worry if that we're running out of money and can't pay a bill. But definitely there are topics, especially if we feel dismissed or if we feel like we had a need that didn't get met and we are willing to speak up about it and work out a way to resolve it. Kids can learn a lot of their conflict management skills right at home.
0: I think it's a, an important reminder that there are very specific issues to avoid because they would mm-hmm. be inappropriate in that setting. Sure. And so I think if we were to condense it, we would probably say that it's issues that are associated with you that have to do with your feelings as opposed to mm-hmm. your finances or your relatives or mm-hmm. other people, right? It has to do with how you feel, what you think, like things that have to do with you personally. Mm-hmm. And how you share that information and how, especially as we're talking about conflict, it's between let's say you and your spouse or you and your child that you need to talk this out. And how this might be really relevant in the corporate setting, I think, is that sometimes you might be in a meeting and you know typically we talk about how in in these organizations there is a mom and a dad figure right? And those tend to be the people who are leading you and that it's okay for them to have a disagreement as long as they do it professionally and they're focused on solving the problem. As you talk about, it's about the resolution and maybe even bringing people in to help problem solve what do you guys think, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, And that creates a culture and an atmosphere of shared problem solving and togetherness, which I think when you have some skin in the game, when you are part of the solution, you're going to be more, not enchanted, that's not the right word, but you're more engaged. Definitely more invested. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think this is an important message, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether it is something that you apply at home with your own family and children or in the workplace around your colleagues and your leaders. So, Thank you for sharing those. So just to kind of uh, tie it all back together, we've got Mm -hmm. myth number one, which is that we don't want to just focus on compromise. Instead, we want to highlight both people's perspective and help each one feel validated. Myth number two is that boundaries are always about saying no, when in fact, we have a menu of options that allow us to take care of our needs while we try to take care of other people and myth number three is that we shouldn't fight in front of others but really what we're saying is that fighting quote-unquote or having some sort of conflict in front of other people is completely okay it's part of life and it makes sense that we are going to get into conflict because we're humans we have different ways of being in the world but the key is to do it in a professional way and to get to a resolution
1: and hang in, right? A, a, a lot of people shut down very quickly because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And I know Brene Brown teaches a lot about vulnerability. And one of her key concepts about how she calls it rumbling with vulnerability is that when the conversation gets tough, you can really hang in there, just hang in there, notice the discomfort, take a breath, do a little summarizing, come back, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, rather than feeling like as soon as the going gets tough, we have to just have some kind of quick solution and be done. And and it really does teach us. Matter of fact, one one thing I'd love, I love to share this with anyone, is to really practice doing uncomfortable things every day and building that muscle of noticing that when something's uncomfortable, we can keep moving, we can keep moving through it, take small steps, keep going rather than shutting down or running the other way and learning to tolerate discomfort and see the creativity that can come from discomfort um, and trying to resolve things in some kind of new or um, you know experimental way rather than feeling like everything is just to the extreme this way or that way.
0: I think that's such an important message, Amy. And a lot of what I teach centers around emotional intelligence, which mm-hmm. has to do with really managing your own emotions, because that's the one thing that we actually have control over. And I find that so many people live in fear of their emotions because mm-hmm. they're worried about if I were to get angry, I would just blow up. I'm going to do something I'm going to regret. I'm not going to be able to recover. I actually had a client today say to me, there's never a good time to be angry, right? So she was mm. uh, I gave her an exercise to write down past incidences where she was angry so that we can work through them. And she had a hard time with the assignment because wow. she was worried if I was gonna like revisit these in my mind, I would get all worked up, and then mm. I wouldn't know how to bring myself back, right? And it's just wow. never a good time to
1: exercise. Yeah. So I, think- I definitely was that person that was afraid to feel, um, that was afraid to feel anything scary, let yeah. alone anything angry, because I definitely thought it was going to swallow me whole.
0: Yeah, I think it was no very recovery. very common experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, and you're somebody who knows that you shut down, you run away, and you try to maybe mask all your feelings because it feels scary because it feels uncomfortable or because you were programmed to believe that it's not okay for you to have feelings, then I want you to know that you, A, are not alone and B, that you can work through this with someone else. So you don't have to do this by yourself. Mm -hmm. That's such an important message for people because that's the one thing that's going to help you tremendously grow. And that's the thing that when you don't work on it, really holds you back. So Amy, thank you for sharing all of your tips and strategies. I love, I love all the concrete examples that people can run with, which is great. I'm going to put all those in the show notes. Tell us where people can find you. Sure. I'm at LinkedIn
1: at coach Amy Armstrong, and I have a website, the center for family resolution.com. Anyone who's interested in coaching can find me at the center for coach development.com. And, um, at, I, I, I always love sharing anything from my book, real-time
0: parenting. Wonderful. So we'll have all of those links in the show, in the show notes rather. And if you love what we do here, here's how you can support our show. First subscribe on Apple or Spotify. You can leave me a comment, feedback, or any questions that you want me to answer in future episodes. Certainly, we'd love for you to recommend the show to anyone who is struggling with burnout because that's what we're here to talk about. And finally, I want to also invite people to join The Priming Lab, which is my group coaching program where we work on reprogramming your subconscious so you can live a more intentional life by creating your world on purpose. You can find out all the information at thepriminglab.com. Of course, I'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for spending your time with me here, and we'll see you again next week.